LinkedIn presents. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development, where we share original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We hope you join us often for practitioner-oriented content around all things related to leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page, and please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Sarah Olivieri about why great leadership requires more than great leaders. Sarah Olivieri, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hey, John. It's such a pleasure to be here today. It's a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from New York. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about why great leadership requires more than just great leaders. Of course, we want great leaders. We want uh, wonderful leaders. uh, And we want to develop those skills, those competencies and capabilities around leadership. Uh, but there's more to it than that. So we're going to unpack that and and explore that together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Sarah's bio with everybody. Sarah Olivieri is a business coach and strategist with a passion for helping nonprofit organizations thrive. A number one international best-selling author and a former nonprofit executive director who now helps nonprofit teams as CEO and founder of her company, Pivot Ground. Her impact method is a framework that helps nonprofits simplify their operations, build aligned teams, and make a bigger impact without overwhelm. And I could go on and on. There's a whole bunch of really cool stuff about your background, Sarah, but I'm going to pause there. And is there anything else you would like to specifically highlight or uh, share with the audience by way of your background or personal context before we dive on in? Yeah. I mean, I don't need to bore bore you with my background, but just to maybe know, I have founded both for-profit businesses and nonprofits. Um, and so I've been in your shoes uh, and I hope to make today really, really practical for everybody. Wonderful. Excellent. And as we start off, maybe you can share a little bit about your own kind of foundational philosophy around leadership. Uh, What does leadership mean to you? Uh, And then we can start to dig into some of those characteristics and attributes of great leaders and then move into really the, the main topic for today. And that is, you know, how can we create the systems and structures around great leadership uh, to support what we're trying to accomplish in organizations? Yeah. Well, my own journey with leadership I've always been just naturally probably fairly confident, probably because my mom's a little like Mr. Rogers and she always like, you're great just the way you are. (laughs) But as a result, throughout most of my life, even before I studied leadership in any way, you know, I was like that person, like when I'm shopping, like someone will just come up to me and ask me for help with their shopping (laughs) decision. And I, 
at a young age, I was asking myself, like, why am I that person? Like, what is this that I am displaying that makes people want to trust me, but also look to me as a leader in situations where I'm clearly not any position of authority? Um, so that's kind of some of my journey to leadership. I came to leadership at a very young age. I held my first nonprofit administrative job when I was 16 um, at a summer camp. And then kind of skipping forward a bit, I started to think about leadership much more formally when I was getting uh, my master's degree in humanistic multicultural education um, and started to more formally learn, you know, the skills of leadership. In fact, you can't see me, but behind me, I have this, the Bass Handbook of Leadership, (laughs) which is like, just seeing the book is an education in itself because it's like, if you remember the Columbia Encyclopedia, it was like a one volume encyclopedia that was like four inches thick. Um, If you're old enough to remember that anyway, with the thin, thin paper, like a Bible might have. And this book is just like an encyclopedia describing leadership styles. And it doesn't even go into systems of leadership, which we're going to talk about later. Um, So I think it's a fascinating, you know, area and it's so important. And I think, in our modern day, leadership is more important than ever because our old models of leadership were very much about power and control. And our new models of leadership or our new need for leadership is really about innovating and moving forward in a fast paced changing environment. And so we need more leaders, more people showing up as leaders in many ways. So I'm not sure if I really answered your question, but that's kind of where I'm coming to from the leadership perspective. No, I think, I think that's fantastic. Um, And there really are wonderful resources out there to help us think through leadership styles, leadership models, leadership approaches. Again, those, the styles, the, the skills, the competencies, the capabilities of great leaders. And there's lots of examples and books around, you know, uh, you know, people we hold up as pillars of leadership. Uh, There's all these great resources, uh, but none of it is a substitute for each individual person to do the hard work of introspection, self-reflection, and to think about how you relate to those around you. Um, Because how I lead can't be a copycat of how other people lead. It just can't be because then I won't be genuine and authentic to myself. It, it'll come off um, as off-putting to those around me because they, they'll be able to tell that I'm not being authentic. Uh, and so I have to know myself. I need to understand my strengths. I need to understand my capabilities and weaknesses and in, in areas where maybe there's some gaps and where I'm lacking. Uh, and then create my own unique model and style that's specific to me. I can glean from other resources, but I can't just copy from other resources. And that's something I see many, especially those who find themselves in lead, new, like formal leadership roles for the first time in their career. They haven't really been trained in leadership. They don't know how to do leadership. And so they go and they, you know, they get that book on Steve Jobs or they get that book on, you know, name whoever. And then they think, ooh, this is the great example. This is who I'm going to follow. And then they try to just do it and it never it never works right because yeah. it, it can't it can't just follow that kind of a prescribed cookie cutter model um we have to do the hard work of introspection and, and critical self reflection and develop our own unique approach to leadership uh and so anyways part of what you were saying kind of reminded me of that um so i thought it was worth re uh, uh reiterating um and it's part of the conversation that we're going to have today Yeah. You know, I love you use this word introspection, which isn't a word I use a lot, but it's a meaning that I use a lot. 
And I think, you know, when you think about leadership skills as individuals, it's not the skill of doing the leadership, right? It's the skills, the toolbox that you have to show up as a leader in an authentic way. And what, like, what are those skills? Or I said, I'll give some practical things like, you know, a tool is meditation. Why is meditation important? Because being in tune with your own emotional state and what's going on your head is really important for, it will affect how you show up consistently or not consistent in different ways with the people you're leading. If you can't tune into your state and somebody else's state, you're going to struggle to show up as a leader. One of the things my clients, who are all leaders themselves, um, you know, ask, like, how do we, you know, lead a great meeting or how do we get our team to trust us? And I say, you know, when, when you come into the meeting or when the meeting comes into you, the first thing you have to do is read the room. Mm. You have to get a sense. And I once, I was on a consulting job and I was doing workshops with different leadership teams within a large organization. I'd been doing the same workshop I was on, I think it was my last one. So I'd done the same thing. I knew the organization well. I walked in and there was like a scheduling confusion. So I thought I was 10 minutes early and they thought I was 10 minutes late. (laughs) So I walk into the room of people like, you know, she's late. And I quickly read the room and I'm like, is this just me being late? And I was like, no, there is way more going on here. I had stumbled into, not, I mean, I was now in the department that was not well aligned, that was not excited about the workshop that I was doing, that had a lot of concerns and fear and had a lot of emotional stuff going on. So I read the room, I scrapped my workshop plan <laughs> because There ain't no learning going to (laughs) happen when we've got all this emotional barrier in the way and we spent the time just addressing like what, what is happening in this room? What is happening with this department? And I think, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do that if I wasn't showing up confident, if I let that emotion just drag me down instead of keep my head, you know, going, what's happening? Like, where are we in this room? And you need that. You know, so it's not so much about the exact thing that I did, right? It's about yeah, the emotional yeah. awareness that I showed up with when I walked into that room. Yeah, so that's that's one of those characteristics or traits or capabilities um, that I think is essential for the modern leader who's going to lead effectively in the in the future of work, and that is EQ, emotional intelligence. Like you need to be able to uh, understand your how your place within the broader social context of of the room you're in. Read the room is the common way that we phrase that, um, but there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of um, experience and wisdom that is required to be able to do that effectively. And we all know people that are really smart and really terrible <laughs> at, and they're not very good at that. Right. Uh, and, yeah. and, it, and they end up creating a whole lot of problems for themselves. Um, so, you know, in the modern world of work, and as we move into the future of work, where things are changing so constantly, where things are incredibly messy and complicated, um, more often than not, you're going to be walking into those types of situations. So you have some sort of pre-prepared, whatever it is, a training, a workshop, whatever. Guess what? You may have prepared for something given the context last week. Today, the context is 
completely shifted and you need to be ready to pivot and move. And unless you can read the room, unless you have that emotional intelligence and, and EQ, you, you just aren't going to be able to do it. And you're going to end up wasting everyone's time. And, and probably if you would have just gone forward with your workshop, you would have just, there, there would have been all the barriers, the, um, the psychological barriers, the resistance. It would have not only been a waste of time, but you probably would have retrenched people in bad behaviors and bad ways of thinking, um, you know, less productive kind of approaches by pursuing what you had planned. And I'm sure what you had planned was great. It probably, you know, in, in a normal circumstance would have been fantastic. But given the context, if you just plow forward, as most people would, uh, it, it wouldn't have been effective. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, I'd already done that workshop. So yeah, I I'm totally in agreement. So I think that's a great example of like honing your skills as a leader is really honing your ability to read the room and not for a subject of another podcast, right? All the yeah. skills of how do you do that? How do you develop that ability um, to read the room, to regulate yourself emotionally <laughs> as you're in that experience, right? Uh, I didn't let fear take over in that situation because I'm used to regulating my own emotions and, and not letting that transfer, right? To just show up and say, you know, oh, this is what's happening and not feel any blame for it. Like clearly there's something, you know, I like the phrase like, oh, that's interesting, right? Instead of being like, oh my God, this is scary. <laughs> just be like, oh, this isn't what I was expecting. Maybe the, maybe I'll learn something too here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's start to move in now a little bit um, to talking about moving beyond just great leadership. So like what you just shared, that's an example of like one of the things that we want to develop. So so me as a leader, I can be effective as a leader, but there's more to it than that. And it requires more than great leaders to, to, to have great leadership within an organization, within a team. So what do you mean by that? What are some of the, the elements that are there that are outside of the individual leader? Yeah. So the whole other half of the story is what is your organization or your department's leadership system or model of leadership? And when I say that in the business context, people are often like, what do you mean by leadership system? But let me say it this way. What is our country's leadership system, right? In the US, we have a democracy. Everybody kind of knows like a democracy is defined by certain, you know, in, in the US specifically, we have a whole system of checks and balances, who has power where, right? How pro the processes of leadership. And in a democracy style leadership, we have a much greater emphasis on process than individual people, right? And that is partly why democracies are able to kind of survive through many leadership human transitions, right? We've had many presidents, and while each one shapes our country, um, it doesn't change the whole thing dramatically, like swapping out a CEO in, a, in an organization. So, but unfortunately... Many of our organizations haven't intentionally decided what their leadership system is going to be. Now, some, some of the best large corporations have done this, so it's not certainly not everybody. Um, but within our organizations, when we don't, and I say organizations, I mean businesses, right? I work with nonprofits, so that's often, that's like the blanket term, right? Businesses, nonprofits are types of businesses as well. When we don't, when we're not intentional about what our leadership model is, we usually default to this hierarchical model that is, you know, it's basically oligarchy, one or a few in charge of everything, of the power 
And I like to use the word power. And I encourage everybody to like, think about where you can like say, hello, there's power there. There's power there. And maybe it's authority, maybe it's influence, but the more as you know, leaders, we can know where power is and how it's exerting itself in our organizations, the better we can make change. Um, so in an oligarchy or a hierarchical type system like that, where they're really good, they're all about the people and not so much about the processes. Processes can come and go and they're really about who is in charge of who. So if right now you're saying, do we have that in our organization? If you have the traditional org chart and it's saying this person is in charge of these 10 people and that one of those 10 people is in charge of those, these five people, you have that leadership system in your organization. And unfortunately, well, it's really good for making widgets. It's really good for keeping super consistent. It is not good for innovation. It is not good for agility. It is not good um, for navigating in complex times. And it is not a results. It's not designed to get great results. It is designed to consolidate power. That's the origination of that kind of system. So maybe now you're thinking, oh, <laughs> maybe we no, don't I want think, that system. I, yeah, I think that's really important to, to hone in on because you think about the, the Industrial Revolution, you think about the modern bureaucratic organization. Why, why do bureaucratic systems exist? They exist to, to streamline, they exist to provide efficiencies, checks and balances, they exist um, to, to maintain and sustain the existence of the organization, right? That's the, the goal well, of bureaucratic And I would systems. say power within, and, and power, know, power within in the, people's yep. hands. Um, yeah. And, and again, in, in, you know, now we're in like the fourth wave of the industrial revolution, industry 4.0. So is the reality today the same as it was back when we had early days of the assembly line in the manufacturing plant and, and those sorts of things, even, even manufacturing plants today are not like they were, and they aren't run the way they were, you know, a hundred years ago. Uh, and so we have to think about, is, is this bureaucratic system, uh, is this approach to how we set up the organization and design the organizational structure? Is it continuing to serve us well in the modern world of work? What I'm hearing you say is you're pushing back and you're, you're challenging that and saying, well, maybe not. Um, and in fact, maybe there are specific things that we're undermining our own desires as organizations that we want to, you know, be agile and and uh, have, have that change agility. We want to be able to pivot. We want to be able to respond to the complex world around us. That's our desire, but our system is such that we are undermining our own ability to do that, right? Yeah, totally. And if we could just go into the practical for a moment, just like, you know, we said earlier, like that being a great leader isn't about the any one thing you do, but about that toolbox you use. So when we talk about um, what are the other types of systems we might use? I always, I recommend, you know, and it's not just because I say so, but there's actual research on models where decision-making is distributed. And, um, you know, the, an older term you can Google is leadership by outcomes or management by outcomes. But the idea is instead of organizing around who's in charge of who, if you organize around who's in charge of what outcome or result, <laughs> It sounds, it sounds subtle, but it is dramatic. All of a sudden, everybody is thinking about how do we get the outcome, not how do I stay in charge or how do I please the person in charge? It becomes 
outcome focused. And when you're outcome focused, well, you happen to get better outcomes. And when you let go of that people in charge of people structure, people are happier. Like, I mean, we could do research on this, but you really don't have to, right? You can just think about yourself. Do you like it when you have more agency? Um, Or do you like it when people are just like micromanaging? (laughs) Like, you probably know the answer to that. So um, you may have heard about Agile and Scrum, right? These are examples of a different kind of leadership system. Although rarely do I see businesses incorporating that as a system at all levels in the organization. It's usually in a department. You might have heard systems that talk about pods um, or circles or flat org charts. These are all kind of business systems, but it's not about the anyone system, right? It's not about exactly how each one is designed. It's that the there was intention about having a system and that it was designed specifically to get outcomes and to be agile in a complex world, right? Which requires a different behavior. I love the work. Do you know Dave Snowden? Is a Kinevin framework and a few other frameworks. Yeah. I love, you know, his work and how he talks about complex, um, the complex versus simple or ordered systems. And basically the idea is when you're in a complex system and I'm a sailor, which is always like a complex situation, especially because I, I race sailboats. So there's like a ton of stuff going on. You can, you're never going to know for sure. There's too many things to just say like, this is the thing that's going to produce the results every time. It's all, the approach is all about trying something and seeing what happens. Then taking that information and trying again and seeing what happens. And so we're evaluating and incorporating our own data, or as I like to think of it, like on a boat, we're looking at our wake, we're looking at our speed, and we're seeing what everything does in that moment. Because we have some general rules we know, like in sailing, you know, more wind, faster we go, uh, you know, current, we have team dynamics, we've got everything on the sailboat. And then we've got other boats who have their own team dynamics, and we're not hitting each other. Um, But there's, every situation is somewhat unique. And so we have to decide our best practice is new each time and in each moment. And so we have this practice on the boat. And it's what we do in business too, if you really want to move forward of checking our data, modifying, there is no kind of static best practice in this kind of um, agile model. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Those are some great examples. And I love the sailing connection uh, and, and example that you just provided. So as we think about, you know, what it's going to take to, to be an effective leader in the future of work, obviously I need to develop particular skills, competencies, capabilities that are going to allow me to be successful. Every leader should be doing that. Every organization should support uh, new and emerging leaders in doing that, as well as experienced um, longtime leaders. Uh, We also need to recognize that all of us can have leadership potential uh, and influence regardless of formal title. Uh, And especially, you know, the old bureaucratic systems, as you were describing, they're built upon formal structure, formal formal titles, uh, span of control, all that kind of stuff. And if we really move to flatter types of organizations, more collaborative types of teams, that the the, the formal leadership roles become more blurry, don't they? Uh, and so we we have to think about all of 
you know, all of us, each and every one of us as a leader and develop the leadership competencies and capabilities. But we also have to think about the systems within the organization. We have to think about um, the structure of the organization. We have to think about the policies, practices, procedures that will either support or perhaps inhibit uh, leaders being effective in what they're trying to accomplish it for their teams. Uh, and I've seen so many times great leaders with great capacity burn out and choose to leave organizations that were set up, you know, essentially the structure was set up for failure uh, as a leader. Um, and, and you, so many leaders will find themselves put in a position uh, where they spend most of their time not leading for outcomes, but they spend most of their time dealing with organizational politics, trying to mm -hmm. break down barriers, trying to you know figure out how to maintain their fiefdom, their 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 control, their power, or to please their boss. So they spend all of their time and energy doing all those things that aren't aren't actually driving outcomes, aren't actually helping the team do cool, innovative stuff, uh, and it's yeah. no wonder why organizations get bogged down in bureaucracy and people get frustrated in those kinds of situations. Absolutely. So I think, you know, when, as a leader for all of you, the first thing you should do, especially if you come into a new position is ask yourself, what kind of leadership is going on here? What kind of leadership system, right? Not just what the style of the leaders are, but what is the system here? Where are the leverage points? How's the power distributed, right? Is it people in charge of people? Is it people in charge of outcomes? But one thing I'll push back on on what you said, I agree with like almost everything you said, but <laughs> the, this new, I'll call it new and old <laughs> for simplification. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to qualify it. The old style of leadership, which you called more formal, um, this new style can be formal. It can sure. be yeah. clear. And I don't always in my own system that I teach nonprofits and the impact method, the authority and the power is hierarchical. It's just not hierarchical in terms of who's in charge of who. We have a hierarchy of these are the outcomes. And then these are the other set of outcomes that affect all other outcomes, right? So the overall direction that our organization is going in, that is an outcome that you can own, you can be in charge of it, and you have ultimate, ultimate decision-making power over that outcome. So, right, there's total power hierarchy in deciding things around direction. And when you make a decision around direction, that is a hierarchy that affects all other outcomes in the organization. So, you know, when you change direction, everything else on the ship has to change, right? Um, whereas if you change, you know, an offer, maybe an offer that your business gives or an offer, a service that a nonprofit provides, that's not going to change the whole direction, right? That's not going to have a lot of sub outcomes that it impacts. So we have a clear hierarchy of outcomes. And then we have really clear leadership lines is that whoever is in charge, and I like to put it in boxes, right? So it looks a little like an org chart. Whoever's in charge of decisions around those outcomes is in charge of decisions around that outcome. They have the authority and the responsibility and accountability and all the stuff that comes with that to make those decisions. They do not have the power to, you know, control other people. <laughs> I mean, did we ever really have that power? Right. No, but we like to think we do. Um, but now there's, it's totally not, you know, in disguise. So, and I, I know that there are people who've seen examples of distributed leadership um, or non-hierarchical leadership that can be very fuzzy. And I don't think those help us, right? I think as humans, we respond well to clarity. We respond well to boundaries and clarity. You know, just like I always say, it's always more compassionate 
to tell somebody right away that they did something wrong and what they did than it is to keep it a secret and let it build up and then, you know, fire them later on for something that, you know, you could have just said, Hey, you did that. You know, that wasn't helpful what you did. And and I 100% agree with you around clarity and accountability. Uh, Absolutely. And, And I appreciate your clarification. Really what I was getting at is, is how in the modern organization, more and more uh, individuals need to practice leadership uh, despite not having any sort of formal uh, position, formal title, or formal structured accountability. Um, They're part of a team, but they're still leading. And we see more and more of that within organizations. But I absolutely agree. We need to have accountability. We need to clearly articulate that to people. We need to set up uh, reasonable boundaries around the work that people do, all of that uh, is going to be important as well. And well, Sarah, know, oh, go sorry, ahead. I had a quick add in for people, you know, there's a lot of new work around this, but an oldie, mm-hmm. but goodie is Jack Stack's great game of business. And if you mm-hmm. want to read a great example of a manufacturing company that went to a totally distributed model, yeah. Yeah. Um, that is just a fabulous read. And I think it will really inspire people on different ways they might try things. Awesome. Sarah, this has just been a real pleasure. I know at the time I need to let you go here in just a minute, but before we wrap things up for today, I wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, well, you can reach me at pivotground.com. That's the best way. You can search me up on the internet, on the internet, anywhere. (laughs) LinkedIn is probably the best way if you want to reach out and message me. And my final word today, you know, for those leaders out there who are walking into a system, if you're being told that you're in charge of outcomes, but you recognize that you're in a leadership system that's about power, that's kind of a recipe for disaster. So think about how you might in your own way address the system overall or the system, you know, the smaller system that you're working in, um, because if you're not addressing that system, you know, you might feel discouraged at your leadership skills. And I want you to know that it's, it's not always your fault that yeah. your great new leadership skills aren't working out because we have this whole other elephant of the leadership system. And it's important to make that scene um, so that we know, have the full picture and all the puzzle pieces as we put the puzzle together. Excellent. Sarah, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Sarah can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Do you enjoy the Human Capital Innovations Podcast? Enjoy ad-free listening by going to the Patreon page. And please consider contributing even at the producer or sponsorship level. And please leave a review. Thank you for your support. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.